Jeez. All right. Well, by the time they get out, we'll pretty much be done. So um, just kidding. I got a really long sermon. Don't worry about it, guys. We'll be good. All right. Well, we continue in our look at the parables. I hope you've had a good weekend. We had a good weekend. Uh, this weekend was, um, you may have heard, maybe not. This was like mops uh, that you've already. This is this got really awkward. Um, Mops, the mothers of preschoolers, uh, had their national slash international conference this past weekend in Indianapolis. So a lot of a lot of moms were gone um, um, and were downtown Indianapolis. And so the, the the husbands, the fathers, you know, we were um, just thrilled that they were able to get away. And um, is that I think that's exactly what I'm supposed to say, right? We were just delighted to give them that that chance. Uh, but we were even more excited that they were back. And so, um, but it was a great weekend, at least from the Facebook uh, feed that I saw and from my wife's take. So, um, so it's, good to, it's good to have everyone here together now, though. We're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew today, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. The parable of the sheep and the goats. Matthew writes, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, that just as you did it for one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. God, we come to you on this beautiful morning with a passage, God, that quite frankly should make us uncomfortable. And so we pray, God, that in the midst of that, that you would speak to us. 
you would help us to understand more and more of what it means for us to be followers of you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, today I am going to cut to the chase a little bit more than I usually do, which I know makes many of you uh, very excited. Uh, I I want us to kind of get to the point of the message today because there's a couple of folks that I want to introduce to you uh, later on this morning. And so to give them some space, I'm going to kind of, like I said, try to be as succinct as I can be, uh, which is really kind of appropriate for for a parable like this one. Many of the parables, as we've talked about, are a bit more subtle. Sometimes it takes a little bit more interpretation. But a a parable like this one is almost like Jesus just kind of taking a cast iron skillet and just whacking it across your head. It's hard to not know exactly what it is that Jesus is trying to tell us. But it's still important for us to kind of dig a little bit to just make sure that we are understanding the richness of this story that Jesus gives to us. And one of the things that when it comes to the story that oftentimes people kind of start talking a lot about is, you know, things like the sheep and the goats. Uh, well, what's the significance of that, right? And, and some will point out, well, you know, the sheep is, is uh, more hardy and the, uh, the goats, well, they, they're thinner and so they would get more cold. And so you had to separate every night the sheep away on one part and then the goats to go to a place that's warmer. And that's the significance of the sheep and the goats. And others will say, that's just really not true, and, um, and, and sheep and goats are really just each valuable, and they're fine. Interesting. So, um, not real enlightening, right? And, and, so, and so others then, they'll say, well, wait, uh, wait, here it is. It's the difference between the right and the left. And so they'll, they'll want to tell us, okay, well, here's the difference between the, you know, the right and the left, the things that most of us know probably, you know, that in ancient time, you know, it was the, uh, the right-handed people were clearly in control because things that happened on the right-hand side were positive. Things that happened on the left-hand side were negative, right? Which is great, you know, unless like me, you have some kind of left-handed tendencies, right? And then it, it feels like it's not quite right, right? But that's, that's what others want to point out. That, that's the thing about the parable. But that's also not all that interesting to most of us, I would imagine. And so as I was thinking about, tell me, you know, what is it about this passage? What is Jesus really trying to tell us? One of the things that kept coming to my mind was to think about what, what truly differentiates the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. And I think one of the things that we should look at when it comes to that is what doesn't differentiate them. And one of the things that doesn't differentiate them is that neither of them saw Jesus in the people with whom they were interacting or not interacting. That neither of the groups saw Jesus right? The righteous people, they were surprised. What? When did, we, when did we clothe you? When did we feed you? When did we welcome you? They had no idea it was Jesus. And, and the unrighteous, of course, they were equally as surprised, right? And, and you almost get the, 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 the feeling, actually, that the unrighteous, if they had known it was Jesus, that they would have, they would have fed them. If they had known it, right, they would say, well, when did we see you? And if we'd only seen you, then we would have known and we would have clothed you. We would have done whatever we could have for you. 
Because it's easy for people, by and large, to love people like Jesus. I was thinking about this with the Pope. I don't know if you've heard. The Pope apparently is coming to America. Has anyone, anyone heard that? Okay, a couple of you. So, and, and, and one of the things, of course, without getting into all the details of the Pope, and is, is one of the things that clearly kind of is drawing people to the Pope are, is the fact that he's doing these, some, some very simple things, right? He's, he's washing the feet of those who need their feet washed. He's caring for people. He's, he's feeding them. It's very easy for us to like people like the Pope, just like it's very easy for us to like Jesus, even love him. Because Jesus, of course, he does some really, really great things. It's easy for us to fall in love with the idea of who Jesus is. In fact, to fall in love with the idea of who Jesus is so much that we're even willing to study about him. We're, we're even willing to sing about him. We're even willing once a week to come in and listen to some guy go on and on and on about him, right? I mean, we, we love the idea of Jesus so much that we are more than happy to hear about it. Right? But, but one of the great things about just loving the idea of Jesus, one of, the, one of the genius things about it, is that it really doesn't cost you all that much. It, it really doesn't challenge you all that much. You don't have to rearrange your schedule. You see, you can, if you just love the idea of Jesus, you set your own schedule, and then you say, okay, at this time, I'm going to spend some time loving the idea of Jesus. See, that's what the, what the goats were doing. See, if, if, if they had known it was Jesus, oh, well, then clearly they would have helped him out. But, but other than that, they were going to go about their everyday lives just exactly as they wanted to. These were people who loved the idea of Jesus versus the sheep. And you see, what the sheep had begun to learn, because this is discipleship, is that what they wanted was to love like Jesus. They, they wanted to be able to love others just as Jesus loved them. And see, that's a huge difference between simply loving the idea of Jesus and thinking, wow, what an amazing person with all the things he did and actually learning how to love like Jesus. Because when you begin to do that, you will always be challenged. When you begin to try to have to figure out how do I love like Jesus, then you will have to start changing your schedule at times because you will meet people whom you have to love because that's what Jesus would have done. When you love like Jesus, you will have times, many times, when you are forced to do things you don't want to do and to be in uncomfortable situations. It is a simple parable, it seems to me, and yet it is a dramatic difference between deciding, and you're going to have this cemented in your mind, do I love the idea of Jesus or do I love like Jesus? And I think that this is something that as a disciple of Jesus, we have to decide every day that we wake up. What do I really want today? Do I really want to love the idea of Jesus, or do I want to love like Jesus? 
Quite frankly, it's something that we as the elders of the church have to think through every month. What do we want? Do we want to be a church who loves the idea of Jesus and is happy to kind of talk about Jesus and all the great things that Jesus has done and how wonderful that is? Or do we want to take the next step, the most important step of discipleship, and begin to say we want to start actually loving just as Jesus did? About a decade and a half ago, actually almost two decades ago now, when I was living in the Chicago area for the first time, I was in grad school and and I started working for an organization called PADS, which stood for Public Action to Deliver Shelter. This organization, they primarily use churches in order to house the homeless. Right, And so I would go in on the evenings when I would work, I would go in and, uh, and I would kind of be the liaison between the church folks and the homeless people. And so I would come in and it was amazing each day to come in and to begin to see what the church people were doing, how they were clearing out a particular room, how they were throwing down all the different pads. Another church would typically bring in some food and then there would be others who would come in who were going to stay all night and to hang out with all of the, with, with the homeless people just to make sure that there was no issue. And every day I realized as I sat there with these folks that that morning they had woken up and they had decided, each of them, that today I am going to actually not just love the idea of Jesus, I am going to love like Jesus. And what was fascinating to see in these situations and in these churches in the western suburbs of Chicago, a fairly affluent area, was to see right about 6 o'clock when the doors would open, is to begin to see the homeless, the hungry, those who had few clothes, to begin to kind of almost come out of the shadows where much of them, where many of them had been throughout the day. Some of them had cars. Some of them would kind of creep out of their cars. But others of them, I mean, they did an amazing job throughout the day of camouflaging, and you never would have known. And all of a sudden, they came, and because of the reality that the church folks had decided, that the Christ followers had decided that they were going to love like Jesus that day, it allowed these people who were hungry, who were not well-clothed, who needed a shelter, to all of a sudden come into the light and to be able to be fed, to be able to be given a clothes, to be able to shower, and perhaps even more significantly, to be able to be known by their name. That no matter what mental struggle they may have been having that day, no matter what others may have said to them, no matter what challenges they were facing, that at this point and in this time, because these people had decided to love like Jesus, they were reminded that they mattered. They were reminded that they were creations of God. Now, it wasn't always easy. There were people who were struggling for various and sundry reasons. There were times when I had to get in between people. There were issues, there were struggles, and that's what always happens when you decide to love like Jesus. And what I didn't know, and probably most of you know, is that there's an organization that's fairly similar to that here in Indianapolis. I just found out about this a few months ago. They're called Interfaith Hospitality Network, and, and they use uh, different kinds of communities of faith in order to house the homeless. And so as I was thinking about this parable for us today, I thought, well, this would be a great opportunity for us to hear from someone from the Interfaith Hospitality Network just to tell us a little bit more uh, about what they do. And so I've asked uh, Marsha uh, Angst. I always say the German, Angstadt, it's not that, it's Angst, it's Angstadt, right? 
Sorry. Angstadt, Marsha, some of you may already know her. She's from, you live in Zionsville, right? She lives in Zionsville. And so will you come up, Marsha, and just, uh, why, I should have just said Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. You've probably never heard that. Will you just come up and, uh, and just share a little bit? Yeah. Good morning. I'm really happy to be here this morning to talk a little bit about what IHN is and what it's meant to me and to my family. Um, IHN has been in Indianapolis for about 20 years, but it's part of a national organization that was started maybe 25 years ago by a woman named Karen Olson. Karen lived in New Jersey but worked in New York City, and every morning when she would take the train to go into the city, she would encounter homeless people as she walked to her job. And and she started looking at these homeless folks, and one day she decided to give half of her sandwich from lunch to a homeless man, and what she noticed more than the fact that, she, that he was you know, getting some food was that he was needing someone to connect with him. And she began stopping every day at lunch and talking to homeless folks and trying to connect with them and see what they needed. One weekend when she was at church, it suddenly occurred to her that she had a church that had a lot of empty rooms, Sunday school rooms that weren't used during the week. And she said, why couldn't our church start providing um, space for homeless folks to come in and live? And that's what started IHN. It was one woman with one idea, and countless homeless families have been helped, and homeless people have been helped all over this country because of Karen Olson and what she saw. She saw a need, and she saw a way to to, um, solve that need. I'll tell you that statistics show that homeless families are the largest growing population of homeless groups in the country. In fact, in Indianapolis last year, the average age of a homeless person was nine years old. And if you have a nine-year-old or anybody close to that, it's hard to imagine them being homeless. But that's the largest group of homelessness um, right now. IHN serves families, which is unique from other shelters. There are some shelters that serve only women and children, some shelters that serve only men. There are some shelters who only serve couples who can produce a marriage certificate. And if you're like me, I don't know where my marriage license is, let alone could I produce it if I'm homeless. Um, but IHN serves homeless families, children, homeless children and the adults who care for them. Last year in Indianapolis, um, IHN, through a, a network of about 40 different congregations and about 2,000 volunteers, served 53 homeless families, which was made up of about 186 people, 105 of whom were children. My family has participated at our church, Meridian Street United Methodist, uh, since about 1999 with IHN. And my husband and I feel that our daughter Mary, who now is about um, almost ready to turn 21, has really had a lot of her personality and her sense of caring shaped by participation with IHN. She started volunteering with us as a family when she was maybe four or five years old. I want to tell you about an experience that, and I may start to cry, so my husband said, don't cry, but I, I, I tell this, a couple of these stories and they make me cry, so if, bear with me if I do. Um, when Mary was the fifth grader here at Zionsville West Middle School, the children were asked to write a paper about something that was important to them. And I don't know about you, but most, you know, fifth graders, I'm not sure what's important to them, but Mary picked the issue of homelessness, which really surprised me. And I remember this one quote from her paper, and it went something like this. She said, people sometimes think that the homeless people are dirty or lazy or not smart, but actually they're just like you and me. They've just had some bad luck in their lives. And I thought to myself, that's, you know, she gets it at, at, at that age. There's another story about a young person, a nine-year-old, who was a member of the Indianapolis Hebrew congregation. 
she and her parents were spending the night with homeless families at, at the temple. And at about 9 o'clock at night, this little girl said to all the IHN homeless kids, hey, it's, let's get our PJs on and get ready for bed. Well, these kids all looked at her and said, we don't have PJs. So this 9-year-old was so struck by the fact that there are children who don't have pajamas that she started a campaign she called Pennies for PJs. She went to her Sunday school class, she went to her um, class at Orchard, started raising pennies, and now, many, many years later, whenever homeless families stay at the Hebrew, at IHC, they, um, all the kids are given new pajamas, as well as all the adults, because this little gal raised so much money because she saw a need and wanted to help. Um, IHN, in my mind, changes lives. You know, lives of the folks who are homeless whom we serve, but more importantly, it changes our lives. You know, I know a lot of you have been on mission trips and, and come back saying, I gained so much more than I gave. And um, in our family, it certainly has been true that the ability to serve others has really changed and shaped our family. Um, we definitely have received much more than we've given. Thank you. Thank you, to Margaret. Thank you. <clears throat> One of the things that Marcia said in the description of how this homeless ministry began was that Karen Olson saw the homeless and she saw her church and she said, okay, let's do this. Let's, let's love as Jesus loved. And that's, I love that mentality. And, and I'll be honest with you. It's one of the things that when Megan and I were kind of praying about and thinking about ZPC two years ago now, it was one of the things that really drew us to ZPC because it seemed to be a place that did not just love the idea of Jesus, but that genuinely had a desire to love like Jesus did. And overall, I would say that we haven't been disappointed. Megan said so-so, but overall, I mean, we have been struck just a little over a year ago now, on September 14th of 2014, I stood up here in front of you and we talked about the Jeremiah house. And we talked about the fact that, you know what, rather than just simply kind of continuing to give money, we have a house here that we could transform that could then become a place where people who had gone through kind of addiction issues and had gone through an addiction program were then able to kind of go and to live there for a little while before they went out into the community. And just this last Sunday, just a week ago now, we were over at some ZPCers house for lunch and, and two of the guys from Jeremiah house, one who's there now, one who's coming uh, in December, were invited over, which I thought was great. And it was great both to get to know them, but also to think about this last year, to think about the small ways that we've had opportunities to love them and, and, and to have them in our home group and to, and to laugh with them and to mourn with them opportunities that we, that we didn't have a year ago to love like Jesus loves. But of course, it's not just the Jeremiah house. There are other ways. When, when I read the passage and thought about the prisoners, I, of course, thought about the ministry that we have to prisoners, the Kairos ministry. Most of you know that. I've talked about it up here before. They go into the prison, Pendleton, and they're in there for a weekend, kind of like a great banquet where they're able to shower them. Love, love. Um, what was the other part of that? See, that was just a joke to see if you knew it, and you did. Good. Love, love, listen, listen. But what maybe all of you don't know is how exactly that Kairos program really began to flourish there at Pendleton. 
which is that, not surprisingly, many of the prisons, of course, are somewhat skeptical, cynical, if you will, of outside organizations that come in. It's just kind of a part of, of being a prison, probably. And so, and so they didn't have the greatest attraction until a Thursday, right before they were supposed to go in for a weekend. Some violent incident happened in the prison. In fact, some guys from Kairos were actually already in there. And so the prison was put on lockdown. Which meant, of course, A, that there would be no Kairos that weekend. And so uh, our own Terry Crockett from ZPC, he went and he met with the warden and he asked the question. He said, what is going to be your greatest need during this lockdown? Now, I had never thought about it because I just figured if everyone's on lockdown, perhaps it makes the staff's job a little bit easier or something. The warden said, well, we have to make 6,000 meals a day and all of our workers, a.k.a. the prisoners, are in their cells. So Terry said, okay, we'll come in every day and we'll help you make those 6,000 meals. And for seven months, including Thanksgiving and Christmas, folks from ZPC and other places drove to Pendleton in order to prepare the meals for these prisoners every day. And I'm here to tell you that that is a job that somebody does who does not just love the idea of Jesus, but who says we are going to be committed to loving like Jesus. And because of that, as Terry said, after those seven months, as you can imagine, the relationship between Kairos and the prison officials and the prisoners themselves was changed dramatically. My point is, is that this is in the DNA of ZPC. It started, my guess is, from the very beginning, the very first day, to be a people who said we are not going to be happy just talking about Jesus. We are only going to be content when we know that we are loving just as Jesus loves. Which is why, and I'm sure this probably comes as no surprise to you at this point, we are incredibly excited, we as a session, as a mission commission, with the fact that we are going to be able to start housing some of these homeless That we are going to partner with IHN in order to, starting in November, in order to start allowing some of the homeless to come in so that we can love and care for them. Now, it probably also is not surprising to you that this is not my idea. And I say that not to deflect any criticism. If you don't like this idea, by all means, you know, let me know, right? And I get your emails. I know you'll do that. So that's great. I say it to say that just like most of our good ideas, they did not come from the pastors or the staff. They came from people like you, the people who are sitting in these chairs. And one of those people is Margaret Gordon. And so I'm going to ask Margaret if you'll come forward and just kind of give a few more details about what exactly this is going to look like for us at ZPC. Good morning. As Jerry said, I'm Margaret Gordon, and I'm one of three coordinators helping to bring IHN to ZPC. Mary Lehman and Joe Loudenbach are the other two coordinators, and we are very excited to introduce this ministry to you this morning. You've already heard a bit about IHN, its organization and mission, and Marcia has spoken about the amazing impact this has had on her family. And I'm here to tell you a little bit more about how the ministry is going to work here, and more importantly, how you can come on board. ZPC is going to host families for the first time the week of November 8th. 
During that week, up to 14 individuals will arrive at CPC each evening in time for dinner. After dinner, school-aged kids will do homework, younger kids will play or participate in planned activities, and adults will spend time with their children and wine and get ready for the day. Early in the morning, they'll leave ZPC and return to the IHN Day Center, which is located in downtown Indianapolis. The kids will head off to school, and the adults will go to work or receive social services, such as employment and home search assistance. Our hosting week will end in the morning on Sunday, November 15th. Our current plan is to host one week in 2015 and two weeks in 2016. One of the reasons we love IHN is that there are so many ways for a congregation to serve. Are you a wannabe NASCAR driver? Or do you dream of speeding in a high-performance European sports car down the Audubon? If so, please consider volunteering to transport our guests back and forth to the day center. Driving the IHN van may not seem as exciting as winning the Indy 500, but the eternal glory and sense of joy you will receive at serving others will far outweigh the light and momentary thrill of being the first to see the checkered flag. Do you love the thought of a job that involves sleep? Maybe you're a young parent longing for a good night's sleep uninterrupted by a baby's cry or a toddler's nightmare. Maybe you're just tired of hearing your better half snore. And a night alone in a dark, quiet room sounds rather pleasant. If this is you, sign up to be an overnight host for our families. IHN also provides the opportunities for home groups and families to serve together. About three years ago, my daughter's brownie troop prepared and served a meal for the IHN, IHN families staying at Orchard Park Presbyterian Church. It was a wonderful experience for those young girls from privileged suburban Indianapolis to learn more about the problem of homelessness and to serve and interact with people who are very different from themselves. And they had a great time doing it. Preparing and hosting dinner Setting up or tearing down guest rooms are great opportunities for home groups and families to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Finally, we'll need household items to get our ministry off the ground. We'll be accepting donations of new and gently used bed and bath supplies, and a list of requested items and volunteer sign-ups will be available today and over the next several weeks at our table in the gathering space and on the ZPC website. In Romans 12, Paul tells us, Serve the Lord's people in need. Practice hospitality. Our hope is that many of you will respond to this command, that our congregation will embrace the ministry of IHN, and that we will indeed serve with joy and thanksgiving for our own blessings, the homeless families we have invited into our church home. Our prayer is that in November, after we've hosted our first guests, and for years to come, we will look back with amazement at our partnership with IHN and say, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So brothers and sisters in Christ, we as a session are excited, and our hope is that you will also be excited by this opportunity. As Marsha and as Margaret both pointed out, this gives us great opportunity, young and old, single, married, wherever you are in life, to be committed to saying we are going to be a group of people who do not love only the idea of Jesus, but who love like 
Jesus. One of the translations this week that I was looking at when it came to this particular passage had this great interpretation of the passage where it says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. It said this instead, I was a stranger and you brought me into your family. And in so many ways, it seems to me that's a part of what we are doing here. This week, as I was kind of outside of our building, I was looking about it and thinking about people coming south or coming north on Michigan Road. Perhaps the, the IHN van coming in, barreling in at 125 miles an hour, apparently, and I wondered if you think about our building and if you think about coming up in that direction and you think about this being the left arm and this being the right arm and the fact that as people are coming north that they're seeing those arms and when they enter into those doors, they come into the heart of where we are, into the gathering space and into our sanctuary. And it is a sense as they come in that we are wrapping them up and we are saying, welcome to our family. And my hope and my prayer, sisters and brothers in Christ, is that we will be a people who do that and do it with joy. And in so doing, very well, unbeknownst to us, we may be welcoming in Jesus himself. May we be a people who love like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Please stand.